This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to be with you here on a Sunday morning in the house of God. Bless all of you. All you teenagers coming back from the conference, bless you. I pray that the seed of the Word of God and then filling of the Holy Spirit stay with you guys. You know, God did stuff in many of you, and so don't revert back to your old ways and your old patterns. Let that seed that was planted on the inside of you, let it really flourish and blossom, and God will move you forward, but fight from going back to the old way, all right? Well, bless all of you. Just a little thought there real quick. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Get your hand up real, real high. We're going to be in Genesis 3, Genesis 2, and Genesis 4 most of the morning. You know, many times in our life, it's easier to blame other people, blame our circumstances for how we are, but that's not God's idea. That's not God's design, and on Father's Day, we talked about Abraham and his son Ishmael, and a lot of the things that happened to Ishmael as a young man weren't his doings. He was dealt a a very difficult hand to life, just like many of you. He was thrown a curveball in life. However, the way he responded and his own actions showed that he had become a part of the problem instead of part of the solution. And in Ishmael's life, what ultimately got him is he chose to live under the circumstances instead of above them. And so we want to talk a little bit about some things this morning that I believe every one of us at times in our life, we deal with shame. The shame of our past, things we've done, and you don't, you don't have to show a hand, but how many of you have been shamed by things in your life? And sometimes the very shames of our life, we had nothing to do with it. It happened to us, but we don't like anybody to know. And what ultimately happens with shame is if I don't deal with it, it jumps to blame. And I blame my circumstances. I blame other people. And so in this passage here in Genesis 3, you'll see shame and blame all in motion. So we begin this morning, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, the devil, Lucifer, he was more cunning, crafting, or shrewd than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the devil said to the woman, Eve, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? Surely he didn't really mean that. And I believe just with verse 1 right there, this becomes a mistake of all mankind. That I can't twist the word of God. I can't distort the word of God. In this passage here, right here, the devil tries to convince Eve that God's word will change. Understand this, God's word won't change. And God won't change, and so put it lightly here. God means what he says, and he says what he means. And I must hold fast that I must mold my life about that, that God doesn't want me to make excuses He says, just obey my word. So this is the dilemma Adam and Eve are in. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden. 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden of God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve's initial response there, it was innocence. But what begins to, to work on Eve here is the devil seated her with this thought. Surely you won't die. And so Eve begins to ponder or meditate on the matter. And what ultimately happens here is her focus is shifted from everything that God has done good and given me to this one little area that God has forbidden. And so it's like the devil tries to make a mountain out of a molehill on this. And when you read this, you'll find out that the devil tries to portray Father God as strict, as stingy, and as selfish. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You got to be kidding me. Now, he's insinuating here that you know as well as I do that you eat a piece of fruit, you're not going to fall over and die physically. So what he was talking about really is when I disobey the word of God, the sentence is a death-like existence. That he didn't mean that I was going to fall over and dead physically, but I would experience a death-like existence. So he's telling her, surely that won't happen. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the devil's telling her, God is withholding from you something that you could use. Now, one thing about the devil is, is he never leads on the disaster that comes with disobedience. He never talks about that. And so in this passage right here, he begins to do these things and, and tries to get her off of freedom. That freedom isn't the illusion that I can do anything I want. Freedom comes from obeying God. And so he tries to twist everything and says, Listen, Eve, you're not really living in true freedom. God's, he's withholding these things from you. So what ultimately happens here with Eve is something that happens with every one of us. She took God's place by deciding for herself what she thought was best. I can't do that. God's the one who created me. God's the one who put all this stuff into order, so I must stay connected to him. And to be like God is different than trying to become God. And so what goes on here with Eve, as soon as we leave our plans to, to follow God's orders or his word, we've now got over into pride and rebellion. Pride says, I know what to do. And you know what rebellion says? I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what it looks like. Now it really begins to get interesting here. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. He tries to convince her that sin is good, it's pleasant, it's desirable, and it's okay. Now... In this first part of verse 6, it's interesting that he says, it's pleasant to the eyes. 
It becomes pleasant to watch you see. Keep reading. And a tree desirable to make one wise. Eve took of its fruit, ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, when you go back and look what Eve did, she looked, she ate. Actually, she looked, she took, she ate, and she gave. Right there in that order. She looked. Now, think about this. He said that it was desirable or pleasant to the eyes. Then it said, she looked. Oftentimes with us as human beings, the battle is lost with the first look. The things I begin to look on. The things I begin to look on have uh, uh, the ability to try to capture my heart. Think about the power of advertisement. Just think about commercials. And you know, when you watch a commercial, you see with your eyes, you also hear. But every day you drive past billboards or posters that don't deal with your hearing. It deals just with your eyes. And what happens with us with our eyes is when we begin to see stuff with our eyes, we begin to meditate on those things. The power of our eyes. Job said in Job 32, I made a covenant with my eyes. The power of pornography. The power of seeing something with your eyes. What does seeing something with my eyes do? It's like a fish hook. It baits me and then it reels me in. And so in this passage right here, the thing that first got Eve was her eyes. And so I say that to you. Do we make a covenant with our eyes? Do we guard our eyes from what we see? Now, now exercise this in your life. Don't allow yourself to lock into stuff that leads to sin. Even in my own life, the things that I got into as a teenager, you know, the Bible's very clear. It says, flee youthful lusts. The things that established in your life as a teenager, you're going to have to deal with them or they're going to follow you throughout your life. Well, I gave my eyes to things that I shouldn't have as a teenager. And the Lord set me free from those things. And so right now, I make a covenant with my eyes. I'm very protective of my eyes. As far as TV, I very seldom go to a movie. And it's not because I don't like movies, but because my eyes are so visual that things, objects that I see, I have a tendency to meditate on those. If you see me at a movie, you'll usually see me only at a really good movie or my wife is always with me. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I don't want to go back into those areas. And right here, you see the thing that got her and it'll get every one of us if we don't make a decision to make a covenant with our eyes. Keep reading. So she took of its fruit, ate, and she also gave her husband with her and he ate. She looked. She took, she ate, and she gave. The desire of sin is to spread. The desire of sin is toxic. The desire of sin is to affect everyone you're around with it. And so this is exactly what happens here. 
becomes toxic. And so with Adam and Eve's choice to sin, sin entered every person here on earth. The issue with Adam and Eve's sin is they didn't consider the consequences. That's the same with me and you. I can sin, but understand there's consequences. Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. Keep reading. Verse 7. Then the, what? The eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Now, this is the first time in the history of mankind that this has ever occurred. And you're going to see over and over the things that took place with Adam and Eve were the first times that many of these things ever occurred. So now they begin to see things differently than they ever had before. Keep reading. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves covering. Why? This was the birth of shame. This is what sin did to them. It caused them to live in an arena of shame and guilt. And they were embarrassed. And so you see right here what sin begins to do. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife... They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. You know, the Bible is very clear that God's desire is that we draw near to him. You see what sin did? It caused them to be pushed away from God. It broke their fellowship with Father God. This, this should be a warning to me and you right here. That any time I have to hide to sneak, to do things privately or secretly in my life, it's probably an indication that you're doing something wrong. How many of you right now today, if I said, I want you to bring your cell phone up here and just throw it down up here so any one of us in this room can look at what's on there, how many of you would freak out? Oh, no, Pat, I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> We're not here to do that. But see, a lot of times when we can do things sneaky, it's as if we're trying to get away with something. And what God does with every one of us, he puts in with each of us a guilty conscience. That is a built-in alarm that God has put inside every one of us, not to beat us up. But it goes off to say, you have trespassed, you've transgressed, you've gone somewhere where you shouldn't have. And that, that guilty conscience is to make me aware of where I come back and say, Lord, I'm going to repent of it, and I'm going to turn from that. How many of you remember times in your life where you were getting ready to do something, it was like a, a, a built-in alarm went off, and you looked around and you thought, is my mother around? How'd that happen? That's the love of God. But over time, when I start avoiding that guilty conscience, I stifle it or I suffocate it. How that would look if Paul was to call me every day, five, ten times a day for a week, 
and I never answered the phone, or if I did and I just hung up on him, you know what he'd say? On him, I'm never calling him again. See, this is what can happen with mankind. The Bible's very clear that that you can short-circuit your conscience. You can sear it is the exact word. Does that mean God will never speak to you again? No. But you're going to have to really, really, really get into the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you. I love for him to convict me, to convict my conscience. I know I'm still uh, uh, under his radar when I do that. And so you begin to get a sense of what's going on right here in their life. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam. And he said to him, where are you? Now God knew where he was. God knew where he was. So why did God ask him, where are you? The next few verses, you'll see the Lord asking question after question. You know what the questions were there for? It was God's mercy and his love. God was wanting to give him the opportunity to repent. Where are you? Where are you? And and to a degree, that's almost humorous to think human beings, we can hide from an all-knowing and seeing God. But a lot of times, that's how we act. We get more concerned about what people know about us instead of what he knows about us. Keep reading verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. First time that mankind had ever been afraid. Why was Adam afraid? That's the result of sin. He said, I was afraid because I was naked, because I was shamed. And the result of my shame, I went and I hid myself. Turn back one page, Genesis 2. Look at verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat, you shall surely die. You know why I read that to you? Adam knew specifically God's heart in the matter. There was no ifs, ands, and buts about it. He knew exactly what God said. Now the reason I read that is I want you to know for every one of us in this room... God didn't make any of us a robot. God made each of us a free will being. And he said, you know what? As a human being, I give you the right to choose. And just like Adam right here, we can choose sin, not God's will. You know, you can choose to go to hell if you want. It would break God's heart. But God will not override that. So in this situation right here, Adam was a result of his choice. But over and over, God said, come on back. Repent, repent, repent. Now, when Adam had the opportunity to repent of his shame, watch what he does in verse 12. Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So the twin of shame is now blamed. Instead of Adam stepping up and saying, 
Father God, I chose to eat that. I did wrong. Instead, he said, it's that woman. Now, ladies, this has been around a long time, this excuse, okay? Don't think this is a new invention. It's that woman that you gave me. So right here, instead of taking ownership of his responsibility to repent, he blames Eve. And he blames God. And as if he was saying to Father God, you know, God, before you brought this woman into my life, my life was pretty good. I enjoyed hanging out with the giraffes and the birds and even the monkeys. But since you gave her to me, look at my life now. Back to Genesis 2, verse 21. Now watch this. Because this shows you real quick how short of a memory mankind can have. Genesis 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Oh, happy day. Thank you, Father God. One chapter later, he's like, Father God, I'm willing to give another rib. Give me another woman. See, you see what blame begins to do. Keep reading. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So again, you see the result of sin. It brought separation for Adam to his wife and to Father God. And it brought shame. Just a quick marriage note here. Three basic acts of marriage that you find all right there. Number one, you're to leave your mother and father and promise yourself to your wife. That's number one. Number two, you're to live for each other's welfare. That means to outlove one another, to be part of one, to be a team. And number three is to have intimacy in every which way. And to have a strong marriage, all three of those need to be in operation. So we jump back to Genesis 3. And you saw what Adam does. Now watch what Eve does in verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? Now stop right there. God knew what she had done. So why did God bring this up? Because he's given Eve the opportunity to repent. And instead of repenting, look what she does. The woman said, the devil deceived me. It's the the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. Now, when you go back and look in this whole passage, the devil didn't use a weapon He didn't use a gun. He didn't use a knife to hold Adam and Eve captive. He just uh, simply put out a question to get them to begin to ponder the word of God. And in Adam and Eve's eating of the fruit, neither one of them held a gun to the other. 
Eve didn't point it at Adam and say, eat, you idiot, eat. Neither with the devil. And so what you begin to see happen is the power of shame and blame. Right there. Now we've been talking about generational stuff. But when I live in a state of I want to shame and blame, that has the ability to jump off onto your children. What does? Shame and blame. Doesn't have to, but it has the potential. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife. Adam knew Eve his wife. They were married. And where it said Adam knew Eve, he was talking about sexually. Understand when God wrote this right here, he meant that the sexual intimacy was reserved for marriage. Anything outside of marriage is sin. You can try to excuse it. You can define it any way you want. You say our society has evolved way past that. Me and my wife are common law. You're not common law. You're common sin. Thank you. And I don't mean to beat you up with that, okay? I just got to let you know what the Word of God says and understand if it's sin in your life or sin in my life, God doesn't bless sin. And we've got to get past that thinking. I better quit right there. Woo, I better not say that. Keep reading. So she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time. His brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. Do you know that was part of the curse? With what Adam and Eve did, the Lord said the ground will be cursed and mankind will live by the sweat of his brow the rest of his life. So both of them go to work every day. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now when you look at this, the implication is that both of them knew that God had asked for an offering from them. Both of them knew that. You see, both of them brought something. Abel brought his best. He brought his first. But when you look at the one named Cain, Cain had the wrong attitude, or he was, he was moved by convenience. It said, in the process of time. In other words, Cain said, when I get around to it, I'll bring it. Now watch what takes place here starting in verse 5. But God did not respect Cain and his offering. He shows me right there. There was something wrong with his attitude in this, his heart. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And here's the big question in verse 5. Who was Cain angry at? He wasn't angry at himself. He was angry at either God or Abel. And when you see his countenance fail, to me it's like he, he was shamed to a degree that is like, God should have done right. Now watch what God does with him in verse 6. 
So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And so God right there is saying, listen, dude, you're responsible for your actions, your choices. Do what's right. And he says that in verse 7. He says, if you do well, if you do what's right, right your wrong. Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, if you choose not to do well, sin lies at the door. And sin is desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And so he tells me right here, the evil inclination of sin is to dominate you. But he said it doesn't have to. If you'll do what's right, repent and ask me to mercy you and grace you to help you obey, then everything will be fine. And so right there, he gives Cain the opportunity to repent. I think Cain, is, his heart is being dealt with here because look what happens in verse number 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass where they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. Now when I read that, you begin to see the power of sin. That it was growing out of control. This was the first time in the history of mankind that blood had ever been shed like that. In a degree, you got to think, who did Cain blame? He said, it's Abel. I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for Abel. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eliminate Abel. Same chapter, verse 23. Then Lamech. You say, now who is Lamech? Lamech is seven generations after Adam. So seven generations, and the reason I'm reading this is I want you to see the power of sin. Then Lamech said to his wives, Adam and Zillah, hear my voice. Now, why do he have two wives? That's a whole other story, but understand this in their culture. One was used for beauty and one was used for having kids. That's how they did it. Don't get any ideas, guys, okay? Yeah, I'm off here. So he goes on to say, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. Now this shows the increasing progress of sin. That it far surpassed what Cain had done. And this guy named Lamech, he boasts about killing a young man for hurting him. Now if you kept reading that, Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, Lamech 77 times. It shows just how sin progresses. And the thing is, is none of us in this room are immune from that. And, and I hear more and more in our society this word, well, we've evolved as a society. We're far past that. It's almost like the things of God are stupid. The things of God aren't relevant anymore. Anytime human beings begin to get over and have that mindset, it's disastrous. 
If you believe the word of God at all, go back and study as it was in the days of Moses, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, guys. As sin began to abound, lawlessness began to abound, stuff got out of control. That's why we got to stay with the word of God. Stay with the word. Let the word of God be my blueprint. So you may be here this morning. And you may have shame and you may have blame. What do we do? Go to the last book of the New Testament. All the way to the other end. Revelations chapter number 12. Now if you'll get a hold of this, this will bless you. This will set you free right here. Revelations chapter number 12 verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And now that's the devil's job description right there. His job is to try to deceive every one of us. He tries to deceive people to to believe there is no God anymore. He tries to deceive people that you can live however you want and there's no consequences. He tries to deceive people that the word of God isn't real anymore. And that's why you just got to keep believing the word of God. So this is his job. He deceives the world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation, now. And strength and the kingdom of God and the power or the authority of Jesus Christ have come. For the accuser are a brethren who has accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now understand right there, the devil is known as the accuser of the brethren. You know what that means? That day and night he appears before Father God and he makes accusations against the brethren, against believers. And he tells God, they've done this. They've fallen short of my glory. They've sinned and they've sinned and they've sinned and they've sinned. And they've done this and they've done that. And it's like it's a, it's a courtroom. And Father God just sits up there and listens to him. Yakety, 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 yak, yak, yak. And then look what Father God does in verse 10. Verse 11. And they, the brethren, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And you know what that means? God finally gets tired of him yakking. And he looks over Jesus. And the ones who are born again, the devil will say, that, that Anthony Gomez, he has done this and he's done this and he's done this. And Father God looks at the Lord Jesus and he says, his slate is clean because of my blood. I've washed him clean. I've redeemed There is no evidence of sin or shame in his life because of the blood of Jesus. So it tells me the blood, the blood of Jesus for every one of us right here, it's greater than the devil's accusations. But he didn't stop there. He said, and by the word of their testimony. What does the word of their testimony mean? It means faith's confession. That when I confess Jesus as Lord, I become a part of the team and his blood covers me. 
It covers you. But the faith confession is I am to maintain it. It's not a one-time confession, but it's a daily confession that I say, man, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're Lord of my life and I thank you that I can come under your blood and that your blood qualifies me, your blood cleanses me. And so right here when I read this, the blood of Jesus answers all the devil's accusations. And when the devil tries to blackmail you, you say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes me white as snow. And if he keeps coming around, you remind him. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. And I believe every one of us in that in the room today, we need to get that in our hearts today. I'm a child of God. God loves me. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, the love of God covers a multitude of sin. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.